Okay, thanks for joining us everyone. Looks like we're all set, ready for our production meeting. Now, it's been a year since our last podcast, but we've been busy in the off-season. We've had a couple of live events, we've featured at Common Dreams Conference, or the International Road Trip, of course, we've been to the States and back. But that's behind us, so we've really got to start focusing on Season 2, getting these episodes out. So, thanks everyone for being here at the Season 2 production meeting. Uh, let's start by taking a bit of a roll call. Uh, Lucas. Present. Great. And Matt. Uh, that's you, Matt. Uh, yes. Yep, yep, present. And Faith. Present. Great, great. And finally, Beryl. Beryl? Uh, I don't think she's here yet. Hello, everyone. Sorry I'm late. I was just chatting to my Uber driver. A lovely young man called Jesus. I almost fell off my chair when he came to pick me up. I got a message on my phone telling me that Jesus was now arriving in a Honda Accord. I didn't know Jesus owned a Honda. He doesn't speak of his own Accord. I think it might be his father's. Right, so he's, he's been and gone? Afraid so. You've been left behind. I knew it. All right, look, let's crack on with this production meeting. Faith. How are you feeling about the next season? I'd like us to invest in some new technology. Oh, right. Monkey bars. Okay, that's probably more suited to a visual medium. And live digital streaming. Uh. You've got to use technology to go face to face with your audience and let them interact with you. Ah. Uh. Remember, the most important element of Beyondering is not your knowledge as presenters, but their questions as listeners. Matt, write that down. Their questions as listeners. Got it. Right, now, I want to talk episode one. Now, I've got a bit of an idea for how we could introduce it. We could do a bit of a skit about our production meeting. That's, that's ridiculous. No, it involves, a, it involves a live prop, so I need you all to be blindfolded and just wait a sec, I'm just going to just bring it in. Okay, that's it. Come on, big guy. Ooh-wee. Everyone got their blindfold on? Yes. Yes. Okay, now everyone reach out your hands and tell me what you're touching. Oh, it's quite tall. And it's round. I can I can only just reach my arms around it. it. Is it a tree trunk? It's wrinkly and it's long and round. Is it a vacuum cleaner hose? Well, this feels just like a big bed sheet straight out of the washing. And it's flapping around a bit in the wind. Oh, this is hairy. It's a bit warm. It's quite well toned. Uh, that's not the object. That That's my leg. Welcome listeners in podcast land. Whether you've been waiting with bated breath, hanging out on tenterhooks, or maybe you didn't even notice we were gone. <sighs> 
This is the Beyond Ring Podcast, where we explore faith out of bounds. So welcome to season two. Finally, it's been a while coming. It's been over a year, but that's only because we've been stockpiling a phenomenal bunch of interviews for you. Now, if you thought season one had a great list of interviewees, you're right, you're correct, but season two is a really special one because we've actually had the the chance to actually meet every one of our guests from a combination of interstate travel and even overseas travel. We've been to America and back and collected some fantastic voices. It's just really good. It's just so good. <laughs> it's great. It's so great. It's the best season. Even other podcasts think so. <laughs> It's tremendous. <laughs> so it hasn't just been slacking off in the off season. Uh, we've been preparing for a massive year that's that's ahead of us this year, and we want you to be a part of it. So not just this season of the Beyond Ring podcast, uh, we're aiming to run a live event each month for the year of 2017. And so jump on our website, jump on our Facebook, and make sure you're aware of uh, all of those coming up. They'll be a mixture of. Um, poetry and music and guest speakers and facilitated conversations with other Beyonders as well. Stay tuned. And we really need to introduce you to a fantastic new initiative for 2017. We are launching Book, Line and Thinker, which is the Beyondering Book Club, a fantastic initiative in which we invite you as listeners to come on board with us in doing some reading, some watching, some listening. Some different things that are going to be some fantastic food for discussion, and they're all from our featured podcast guests. So stay tuned and jump on the website for more details. Now, many of you will be familiar with the analogy that we set up at the start of this episode. And that was the idea of this elephant. This elephant that a bunch of blindfolded people put their hand to and discover that whilst they're all touching an elephant, they're touching different aspects of it and experiencing something unique and different. And that is actually going to be a guiding metaphor, a guiding and framing story for season two of Beyondering. Interestingly, that story of the elephant actually emerged out of the Indian subcontinent in about the 9th century. But fascinatingly too, it got picked up by various religious traditions, the Jainism tradition, Buddhist, Muslim and Hindu traditions, all have a version of this story. It, seemingly, the story touches on something that's really unique to the religious experience, the idea that in reaching for this mysterious other, this, this god, there seems to be diverse experiences of it. And the question is, well, are we all touching the same thing? Everyone has their own experience of reality. Everyone has their own experience of truth. But we experience it through our own particular lenses. And those lens are, lenses are shaped. They're, 
They can be inherited. They might be part of the culture that we were born into, part of the family that we were born into. There might be family practices and behaviours and so on that influence the way that we respond and see the world. But they can also be developed. So we might educate ourselves. We might dive into scholarship. We might dive into philosophy. And we've all got these lenses and they're unavoidable. Like being an optometrist and the machine in which different lenses are slotted in front of us, we each see the world through this really unique combination of lenses. A story I was told in college was of about three people. Someone sitting on the ground, someone standing, and someone standing on a chair. And we were asked to describe who are these people? What's happening in this story? And we each threw out suggestions and ideas. The person on the chair was the king or the, uh, the person on the ground was some peasant. All these suggestions and ideas were thrown around. It was revealed the person on the ground was in fact the chief of this indigenous tribe. The person standing was a tribe member. The person standing on the chair was actually someone who had, had committed a wrong in the eyes of the tribe and was being punished. It was a community that valued a sacred connection with the land. And so their punishment was to be removed from their sacred connection. The person of power then was the person that sat closest to the sacred entity of the earth. No one in the room came up with that suggestion. Our lenses of how we'd seen power, a person standing behind pulpits, behind desks, uh, of standing tall and high, of, of that's how power is articulated in many of the lenses I wear. I was unable to see the person sitting on the ground as actually the person of power in that story. My lenses determined what I saw. And if we accept that we have lenses and that other people have lenses, how do we move to appreciate the perspective that other people bring us through their lenses rather than resist or reject? So if I fail to appreciate that I have a lens and that others have a lens, a point of difference will be a point of conflict. Because that analogy is fascinating that, that I can never see the other side of the elephant. I will always stand here and I will only ever have my set of eyes and my lenses. So therefore, I'm intimately in need of you to fill out this picture. So season two for Beyondering, we're going to go elephant touching. We're going to invite you as listeners to listen in as someone talks about their experience of the Christian faith through their lens, through their perspective. We're going to invite them in this opening episode to just respond to one question. The question is, what's the point of the Christian story? And you'll be fascinated by the range of different responses, the really different directions that this one single question takes all of these different people. They cover completely different territory. And that's because they see from where they stand and they're describing the elephant as it stands in front of them. I don't know if God is real. Does he breathe or does he feel? Does he mind when I'm angry? Does he even notice me? I don't know if God is true. What's the point of the Christian story for you? Uh, there's more going on here. Does he we aren't just a collection of our cell synapses and biology. Anyway. Great question. Oh, gosh, so that's a put the guest on the spot question. It doesn't make for an easy life, but for an incredibly authentic and rich life. Just wants a little piece, a little piece.
how do we give ourselves over to continual transformation and enjoy that? That's the true political move for me. And when we are at our best, we are still a tradition that leads the way in creating a table for all. You know, I'm, I'm reminded of my friend Kester Bruin's book, Getting High, mm -hmm. because the book itself is about our human desire to escape the earth, to mm -hmm. get into the heavens, either through LSD or through technology, mm -hmm. and that actually part of being human is about embracing the grit and grime of the world, embracing our finitude and our earthiness and our bodies. We, when we're doing that in our lives, we think the new place might be a new Eden, a new paradise, a new something that where we can kind of right all of the wrongs of the past and have perfection. And so I guess, you know, I might say that uh, you know part of Christianity and its subversive core is about um, destroying that whole notion of some heavenly realm without the shadow side, without our darkness, where where we're what, what's called the beautiful soul. Uh, Hegel had this idea of the beautiful soul. Sounds lovely, you know, we've got a beautiful soul, but actually what it means is you so want to have beauty inside that you put all your your darkness out, you project it onto others. So there's, it's a developmental phase. When a child says there's a monster under the bed, that's like the developmental phase where the child can't see its own fears, its own anxiety, its own anger, its own uh, feelings that it has to repress. So it puts them into the monster under the bed. But of course the monster is within them, it's not under the bed. So um, for me Christianity is about um, creating a space where we acknowledge that wherever we go, whether it's some other planet or some other country or some other relationship, uh, don't expect that to be the new Eden, the new paradise. That actually part of Christianity is about a transcendent God entering into the mud and mire of the world, finding a place here and finding the sacred in the midst of life, not in some sort of like future place. Instead of trying to create a new world, a perfect world, something new, some utopia where everything's going to be wonderful, how do we give ourselves over to continual revolution, continual change, continual transformation and enjoy that? That's the true political move for me. Uh, there's more going on here. We aren't just a collection of our cells, synapses, and biology. This insistence that the whole thing uh, has a, a beginning, middle, and maybe headed somewhere, and that everybody can be a part of it, and that in spite of all the brokenness and fragments and everything that appears to be going the wrong direction, is there something pulling the whole thing forward? And whatever that something is, is it big enough, wide enough, ineffable enough that it can actually take the dark, twisted, broken things and somehow absorb them, swallow them up, co-opt them, embrace them in such a way that even those things become somehow beautiful, which is all very mysterious. So I, I even when you think about uh, everything that you ate today to keep you alive was plucked from the earth, so it was severed from its life source. So even to keep living, you eat things that are dead. Um, your body, was it 300 million cells, die in an hour, and yet your body produces 300 million new cells to replace them. So death and rebirth uh, 
death is the engine of life. It's the, it's the thing that's present in the very fabric of creation. The sun will set, but then it will also rise again. In winter, everything dies, but then in spring, it sprouts forth. So this death and resurrection is a biological, a cosmological, a ecological truth baked into the whole thing, which I think is interesting. So at the heart of this, this Christian story that you speak of is about a death that brings life. But that's actually how the whole thing has, that's not a new idea. <laughs> so when the story tells a story, it tells a story in language that people have acknowledged for thousands of years is how the whole thing works. It's reflective of and in tune with everything. It's not a weird explanation. It's how the whole thing has always been working. Yeah, I begin with a, uh, what do I call it? I would call it an elemental theology. I begin with what we can observe. Uh, you, you begin with what you can observe and then you try and name it. So essentially when people talk about world religions, what they're talking about is naming systems, attempts to give language to reality. And some naming systems are terrible, and some are more adaptive, and some are actually quite powerful. So it shouldn't surprise us when naming systems overlap. I mean, that shouldn't shock anybody. The human beings have been trying to give expression to the human experience and been trying to name ultimate reality for a long time. Yeah. I think the idea that when people were with Jesus and heard him, they had an experience of the presence of God unlike anything they had had before. I don't think of that as metaphysical. I don't think of it as grounded in the supernatural, but just that this is what God looks like and sounds like if God were a human being. Mm -hmm. I hope we can talk about the importance of church being countercultural. Mm. I think if it's too much like other experiences we have, it fails us in some ways. It has to seem strange. Mm. Uh, lovingly strange, but but strange, outside of the other kinds of experiences we have to have value. To me, the Christian story has two values. One is it is the story that shaped me. You know, it's the story I was born into. It's the story I inherited. It's the story that shapes the landscape that I know. So in a very real sense, it's the story that connects me to what has gone before. And, and I suppose that Muslims or Jews or Buddhists might feel the same way about their stories. And so, so I don't think about that as being like, this is truth and everybody else is wrong, or this is the you know, sort of theological insight that saves everything about the world. I don't think of it that way. I think about it as connection through time. It's also a story that I embraced. And so at some points in my life, I've had to look at that story and say, you know, what is this really worth? And I keep going back over and over and over again um, to the fact that uh, I love Jesus. And <laughs> it sounds so kindergarten. <laughs> and and it's, it's legit. I went through an incredible amount of critical sort of stuff, and I understand the historical critical interpretation of the Bible and all the arguments, and and I actually have a very historically savvy, I think, interpretations of Scripture. But at the same time, I really do believe that Jesus was a person who really lived and that he was uh, a wisdom teacher, an ultimate guru, a person who 
really understands the power of love and I keep re-embracing that person and the way the pers that person told this story. And, and that helps me feel love and it helps me feel God. And mm -hmm. so that's, Jesus is there, Jesus is real. I think because we only have, it would seem, one life that we need to devote a significant amount of time or we sh we're invited to, to the questions of why, why are we here, what are we here for? And I think that the Christian story uh, challenges us with all kinds of implications for living which are difficult but which are also astonishingly gifted and they're worth wrestling with. Uh, but I think for everybody the call will be different and, I, and I, that sense of um, the divine dreaming for each person, I really have strong heart convictions around that, that there is this uh, within us that the Ignatian tradition would talk about uh, that, that the divine longs for us to become aware of what we truly desire because that's gifted desire and um, there's a corresponding service for that and so finding the mix of where, where that can happen, it, it doesn't make for an easy life or a rosy life but for a, an incredibly authentic and rich life, yeah. My deepest passion is about going pan-tribal. Uh, we've come out of an eon of human time on this planet where we've all been tribal, whether it's been tribal by ethnicity or tribal by ideology. And Christianity at its best was the first tradition that became pan-tribal. And when we are at our best, we are still a tradition that leads the way in creating a table for all. Pan-tribal is, in, in my American southernness, it's, it no longer matters who your mama is. Uh, mama being the bloodline carrier. This is really the, the first Christian art form. And I don't think that we give enough thought to what happened in the first century when Jesus the Christ was here in our midst and the first followers after Jesus the Christ uh, created something that if another tradition on the planet had done it, they didn't leave a record behind. And that might be the case. But Christianity is the first spiritual practice on the planet that said it no longer matters who your mother is, it no longer matters where you're born, it no longer matters what religious tradition you have done, it no longer matters uh, which part of the empire, whether you have money or you have no money, it no longer matters if you were a slave, come, we have a table for you. And um, many, many traditions have a beautiful way of expressing equality and respect within the tribe. Uh, this is true amongst many indigenous peoples. Uh, indigenous peoples do not know how to be with other indigenous peoples. They are still, they are learning that at this developmental moment on the planet. Christianity is the tradition of record that solved the practices of doing this uh, 2,000 years ago. And then we forget our own tradition and we forget how we've done this in the past and we become tribal again. But this moment, this century to me is about Christianity reawakening with all the great traditions. I can thoroughly support the and agree with the progressive Christian path, um, which speaks of a teacher who taught a way of experiencing sacred oneness, of experiencing what some might call God or the interconnectedness of all beings or source or great spirit. 
So I think Jesus taught one way to that experience. Mm. And progressive Christianity is also um, <clears throat> inclusive of all people, which to me is very important. So any, also not just sexual orientation or gender or race or ability, but also belief system. Yeah. Also wherever you're coming from, whatever questions you have, whatever, whatever healing work you need to be, have done in that area, mm. we're infirming and inclusive of those people. Um, and then, you know, the respect for other wisdom traditions is a key part of progressive Christianity that I, you know, happily mm. embrace. Mm. Um, there is so much wisdom out there, and it can, we can kind of get lost in that spiritual smorgasbord or buffet mm. in a way if, if we try to embrace it all. Mm. But I, for me, personally, it's really been about focusing on, you know, social justice, social transformation, um, the stewardship of the earth, you know, restoring and healing the earth, and continuing to seek, continuing to ask questions. But I think for me, what the Christian message answers better than any of the world religions, and I'm not in competition with the other world religions, that's not my point, but the question of incarnation and the question of suffering. And human beings, if they don't resolve those, they don't know how to be at home in this world. You know? Now the irony is that so many Christians don't appear to be at home in this world or uh, trying to evacuate to the other world all the time. And yet we have the material by the mystery of incarnation that God took on materiality, physicality. That makes this world meaningful. You know, That it's not a place you want to escape from. God chose our environment as in Jesus as his environment. And then, as you well know, by the middle of life, if you haven't found an answer for human suffering, you have to split. You have to, you become schizophrenic because there, there's just too much of it. You have to live in denial. And so Jesus, particularly on the cross, shouted to history, uh, I'm going to show you a way to find meaning and purpose and direction and depth even in suffering, uh, which is still, of course, a, a huge problem for all of us. It, it doesn't appeal to the logical mind, as you know, especially when you're the one doing the suffering. I mean, radical theology for me, there's a, there's a story from Northern Ireland that sums it up, uh, where this guy who's a member of the IRA, the IRA used to have this technique where they'd plant an explosive in a building and then they'd phone up the authorities and say, you, got, you know, you've got to get everybody out. Five minutes to get everyone out. So this little story circulated that this IRA guy dies, goes up to heaven, and he's waiting there, and St. Peter comes out with this book, opens it up, starts to look through, and he looks at this guy and says, listen, mate, your, your name's not in the book. You were in the IRA. You're not getting into heaven. And this guy, Seamus, says, oh, he says, no, 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 no. He says, you misunderstand. I'm not trying to get in. you got five minutes to get out, right? <laughs> now, that, the, the, the way that story works is it works because of the surprise of Seamus's motives. You think, of course, he wants to get in, but actually Seamus has a strategy to get everybody out of heaven, mm -hmm. to get God and the heavenly host out, to eviscerate heaven and get God into the earth. This, for me, is the, the twist of Christianity. Christianity has a twist. The believer naively thinks that the biblical narrative is there to help them get to heaven, right? A place of perfection and wholeness and completeness, a place where you can have perfect peace and happiness, right? But actually then you realize, no, I've been recruited into the subversive, clandestine organization of dissidents. 
whose very aim is the opposite, is to blow up heaven and, and find the sacred, not as a dimension outside of the earth, but as a, as a dimension within earth and materiality itself. The voices you've just heard include some of the guests for season two. Richard Raw, Peter Rollins, Rob Bell, Sally Douglas, Deshna Rubeda, Diana Butler-Bass, Alexander Shire, Robin Myers. And the music leading us into those responses was Is God Real by Casey Chambers. And she invites us to question and wrestle with our understanding, our lenses regarding the existence and nature of God. So this series will feature various guests with different lenses who may confirm and resonate with you and your lens, or they may jar and clash with it. You see, these varying lenses, they'll, they'll create a different outlook, an alternative picture of faith. Differing aspects will come sharply into focus, and things that seemed so prominent through another lens will, will fade into the background. So our aim is to encourage and invite self-awareness to learn what our own lenses might be, to learn more about where it is that we stand, and also to encourage openness, graciousness towards other viewpoints, not defensiveness when hearing another perspective. So we're really excited because this year we're expanding Beyond Ring. We're taking it beyond just the podcast to live events and to our book club. We're really trying to go to the next level, but to do that, well, we require your support. So through our website, there's some opportunities to become a Beyonder backer, to get behind us and to help us expand Beyondering into live experiences and online communities and to continue the conversation together. So we really encourage you to get along to the website www.beyondring.com.au, subscribe to our mailing list so you keep completely up to date on everything that's happening, find out information about the book club, find out information about live events, join us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, be our friends. Please. <laughs> Please, guys. <laughs> so Beyonderers, tune in for episode two in which we launch with our first full-length featured interview and it's none other than rob bell a massive get for the podcast international author speaker and friend of oprah because i remember there was a church that i've been the church that i worked at before i started the church and they had written like a seven page single spaced paper against me denouncing me and a friend of mine was a pastor and his church had written a paper against me and i had asked um how long is your paper up against Mein Kampf. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They did it. I think that was funny. The rise of Rob Bell's coming. But just quickly. this bizarre world where people would not comment and say anything about actual bad things. Your church has say, made no statements about human trafficking, but you have to make up, have to have public meetings about this book. Like, what a house of cards. So join us next time when we take you beyond ring. Beyondering was established with the support of the Progressive Christian Network of Victoria and Common Dreams. 
The podcast is edited and produced by Shaz Mullins and relies on the wisdom and coaching of Andy Bruff. To join the mailing list or to find out more information on the podcast, monthly Beyondering Live events, or Bookline and Thinker, the Beyondering Book Club, go to www.beyondering.com.au. Does Adam Ball feature this episode? Does this series? No. No, we do need a little, some sort of grab. What about... I mean, uh, apart from obviously the gold that we've just provided over the last <laughs> hour and 20 minutes of recording. <laughs> so, a seven-minute intro? Yeah. Good luck with that, Chefs. <laughs> <laughs>